the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Well, everybody, it's Passion Week 2023. And how are you approaching Easter? What are you doing in your life? Is it just a run-of-the-mill week? Maybe it's spring break for you or your kids. Maybe you're taking a vacation. Maybe you have to work. What Do you have anything spiritual that you're doing to really help yourself grow, to help yourself Take a look at what's coming up on Easter and the opportunities, the remembrance that we have of the resurrection, which we do every week, right? But there's something special about Passion Week or Holy Week or whatever it is you call it in your your tradition. We're going to talk about this, and what we're going to do is each and every day for the next few days, we have a different pastor coming on the air with us who's going to take us through six steps to Easter. And this is something that we're doing so that not only do we take time to examine ourselves and to get right before the Lord, but also get prepared to invite our friends to Easter or invite them to church afterward or just share the gospel or tell them why we're going to Easter. So I'm excited about doing this. Today is step number one. Step number one is examine yourself. And it's going to be based on Psalm 139, 23 and 24, which goes like this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, You know, I found that whenever I pray that, God answers that prayer, and he answers it pretty quickly. So I want to invite you to do that. And here to talk about this with me is Pastor Michael Lance. Pastor Michael Lance, he's been on our show before. He's the lead pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. He can also be heard on his radio program, Walk in Truth, which can be heard on KKLA in Los Angeles daily at 4 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. and on several other stations nationwide. Actually, you can learn more about this at walkintruth.com. Pastor Michael Lance, welcome to Southern California Live. Scott, it is a pleasure to be with you again. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Tell us about yourself and uh, your family and uh, how you got into ministry. Well, Scott, um, in the late 80s, I grew up in a Roman Catholic household, and in the late 80s, um, I heard the gospel uh, pr- clearly for the first time, gave my life to the Lord and felt a pretty much almost an immediate call to ministry and a passion for the gospel. So my wife would tell you that she did not marry a pastor. That wasn't her plan, nor was it my plan. (laughs) But uh, the Lord saved us at the same time, actually. We both went forward at church, and there was just a passion uh, for the gospel. So I went to Simon Greenleaf University, studied Christian apologetics in the 90s, uh, became a pastor in the mid-90s, and uh, it's been a adventure ever since. It's been an awesome thing that the Lord has done. Well, I'm really glad that you're in the ministry, and it's been fun to watch what you're doing. Let's talk about our six steps to Easter. We've invited you on the air first to talk about the theme of examine yourself. And yes. uh, we gave you Psalm 139, 23 through 24 to talk about. As a pastor, and you think about people 
rededicating their life to Christ. There's a lot of conversation today about revival, and we have the Jesus Revolution movie sparking that conversation. We've seen stuff in the NFL. We obviously have things going on in our culture that are in many ways causing people to really ask, what do I need to do? Yes. How do we start this off as followers of Jesus? And we're thinking about getting our life back with Christ or even just saying, hey, I need to figure out what does God want me to do now? Why don't you take it from here? How do we examine ourselves? Yes. Well, I think what God wants me to do now is talk a little bit more about my family. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I, I kind of cut that off. So married 32 years to my beautiful bride, Brenda, three uh, amazing sons, all grown up. Uh, one is engaged, one is married, and they're awesome young men. So I want to make sure I mention them, Shane, Nathan, and James, my beautiful bride, Brenda. So as I examine myself, Scott, I want to make sure I get that out. I, I think that is wise. And I, and I think that makes a good point is that sometimes we do yes. feel that uh, God wants us to do something or say something, or mm-hmm. and I appreciate that you did that. That's that's yes. part of it. So how do we get used yeah. to that? How do we look at Easter coming mm-hmm. up maybe and saying, God, I want to I want to be able to be responsive to what you're calling me to do in my yes. life, not just long term, but today, right at this minute. How do we start with right. that? Well, Scott, you know, this particular verse has been called, these verses have been called a dangerous prayer Mm. because it's an invitation to God to search us. So we know, and I know you guys are going to be touching on examining ourselves, and I think there's there's both sides of the coin, but this is a prayer that David prays at the end of Psalm 139, and it has been called a dangerous prayer in this sense, that we are asking God to investigate us the heart of the language here is almost a winnowing process where it's a separation of the wheat from the chaff. So we are saying, Lord, let your searchlight come into my heart and investigate me. But I think as you look at the overall Psalm, what you see is that David trusts the Lord. You know me. You have searched me. The Psalm is kind of bookended. The opening verses have the same themes. You have searched me. You know me. If if uh, folks are Looking at their Bibles, you know, he talks about, uh, you scrutinize my path. Um, you know, when I rise up, you know, when I sit down. There's so many beautiful uh, intricacies about God's knowledge of us. So I think David's prayer at the end is a trusting prayer. Lord, since you know me already, I invite you to let your searchlight come into my life and see what needs to be done. Mm. So you had asked me the question, How can we be a little bit more sensitive to the Holy Spirit? I think that's what you're asking me. You know, sense his prompting. What should we do? When should we do it? I think when we invite the Lord in and we say, Lord, I trust you and I'm submitted to you and I surrender to you, we're going to have a little bit more sensitivity to what the Lord may want to do with our lives. I think that the word trust there is really key to this passage, isn't it? That you have to trust the Lord enough to know that he is going to answer that, right? That if you really ask him, God, search me, and uh, you know my heart, test me and my anxious thoughts, well, he's going to do that. Yes. And, you know, this is when we have uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord, when we know that he loves us, even though he knows a thought before we think it, a word before we speak it, I mean, that's amazing love. Yeah. Then I think we, we feel a little bit more confident to say, Lord, I'm going to open myself up to your investigation. You see everything anyway. You're omniscient. You know, all of the, uh, some of the attributes I should say of God are here, like his omniscience and his omnipresence. So I think David is basically saying, 
You know my heart already, Lord, so I open myself up to you. Let that searchlight come in. And I love the language, search me, O God, know my heart. And then he even invites God, this is why I think this is called a dangerous prayer, to try me, which means test me. Yeah. So it's an invitation for God to actually put me to the test. And someone might say, that's crazy. Why would I ever pray that? Well, you'd pray that because you want to grow. That's right. So God's tests are about our growth. Here we are, you know, we're coming to the resurrection season, the Passion Week, and we're really asking questions about how can we grow so we can be more effective for God. And I think that's really what David's getting at there. We live in a time where I think that there's lots of people who don't, I would say that they say they want to grow, but they don't really want to hear it. Does that make sense? Like, oh yeah, I want to grow, but I don't want to hear what I might need to do to improve. Mm -hmm. And that might make this a scary prayer for some people. And, you know, what would you say to to that person who just feels like they are are unable to submit even to the Lord's teaching in something like this? Yes. Well, it's interesting that David said, know my anxious thoughts. This could even Mm. be an anxious prayer. Yes. You know, there there are some prayers that maybe if we're honest, we would pray with some level of anxiety. Lord, this is a new step for me. This is something that I've never prayed before, and that's okay. So I think David is saying, you already know me anyway, Lord, so you know my anxieties. I hope you're not going to send me to some jungle in Africa. <laughs> you know, that, that may be the Got to be careful about that. He's like, yeah. oh, well, maybe I will then. <laughs> but, you know, I think in the end, the Lord knows what um, kind of unsettles us and that's okay because we can trust him. We go back to the word trust. Mm -hmm. We can trust him that his plan is good. And, you know, David goes on to say in the next verse, Scott, see if there's any hurtful way in me. So if there's anything that might keep me from your best plan for my life, you know, how I can be most effective for the master. um, It's an invitation to, to eradicate hurtful things to myself to my God, to my family, to my witness. So it is an honest prayer. You could even call it perhaps in quotes a dangerous prayer. Yeah. But I, but I want to ask a question of our listeners, and it's this. So what what is it that you would like to do with your life? Do you want to take another step? We're talking about steps here, right? Right. Do you want to take another step towards being, you know, usable for God, or do you want to just keep the status quo? I think that is a great, great question to ask, a great way to start out this Easter week, because something that most people, I think, are hearing in their churches, maybe more than the rest of the year, is invite your friends, invite your friends. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Easter, and honestly, it's something that's a relationship, right, that happens all the time. But there's an opening at Easter. There's an obvious opportunity at Easter to do this. Maybe some of your friends who don't go to church or who are not believers, they might even be expecting you to invite them and wondering why you don't, because they know you're going to church. So this is a great way to start, to really trust God and say, God, help me grow. So what would you tell people who are are thinking this? So I think probably everywhere, most churches are putting something important together for Easter. They know it is probably the biggest attended week of the year. Lots of people come who don't know the gospel. Lots of people come who think they know the gospel, but they really don't. And it is it is an important Sunday for sure. Yes. How do people invite their friends? What do you tell people about this? Now, if we go back to the verse, Scott, um, 
David ends it with lead me in the everlasting way. And when you look at that phrase, that phrase is the way your way, God, the things that will really last, the things of eternity from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So I think we need to be thinking about eternal things. Mm -hmm. What will really last? Jesus said, I am the way. We could say it maybe perhaps this way. I'm the everlasting way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. So what should motivate us as believers is to invite people to taste of everlasting life. That's what's at stake. And we've often said, I know you've been a pastor, and we've often said when we invite people to everlasting life, we're not just talking about heaven. We're talking about a quality of life now. Mm. So if we believe that God's life that he's uh, given to us, eternal life, is the best way people can live, then that'll be the best motivation. So I think it's just simply that, to lead people to what is truly life. You know, instead of, you know, someone in the, in the dead in their sins and trespasses, which we know is the reality of life without Christ, yeah. you can have all the other bells and whistles, but if you don't have him, you don't have life. He is the life. So I would just say, Scott, my answer might sound very pastoral, but it's, you know what? We want other people to taste and see that the Lord is good and know that life. So that that's my answer. Yeah. How do we develop that passion? Because I think also one of the things that's going on with church so often is that we are, we're working on ourself, but sometimes it ends, or even when we think about eternal life, or we think about the return of Jesus, or we think about those things that has so much to do with where I'm going to end up. Yes. How do we take that and go, I want my coworker to come with me. I want my yes. classmate to come with me. I want I want the guy down the hall who doesn't like me very much to come with me. How, yes. do we, how would you say we become passionate about that? Scott, we were in a men's Bible study this morning. We were talking about evangelism from the book of Acts. And I was thinking about Psalm 139, and people were asking the question, how could we be more effective and winsome in our witness and I thought about Psalm 139 since I've been kind of sitting in this and meditating on it and mm-hmm. thinking about, is there any hurtful way in me that rather than drawing people to Christ, it causes them to be pushed away yeah. or they recoil from it? So maybe a good prayer would be, Lord, if if I'm ineffective because I act two different ways, one at church, one at work or elsewhere— if my witness is less winsome because I'm beating people over the head with my family Bible instead of, you know, preaching the love of God, we, we have to preach sin, of course, but we want to, we want people to know God's love. We want them to know what we have found in Christ. I think um, that will help us be a little bit more effective in drawing people and saying, you know, I want you to, to experience the love of Jesus. I think, you know, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? That's right. So, Sometimes we need to use the law and evangelism for the proud, but I think for a lot of people, they need to hear afresh that God so loved the world. And I think uh, if that's our mode, people are drawn by that, and and I think that will hopefully be effective. Somebody said, and maybe it's become a a cliche, but it's a good one, that we want to be offensive if the gospel is offensive, but we don't want to offend in any other way. Right. Right. And I think that is that it's an interesting thing to pray this prayer. See if there is any offensive way in me, mm-hmm. because you could take that a couple of ways. You know, God, is there an offensive way in me to you? Right. Am I yes. do I need in that relationship? 
but from an evangelistic standpoint is, is there an offensive way in me that is misrepresenting you? Yes. Uh, let's deal with that. I think that's huge. Right? God, you know, look at my Twitter posts and my Instagram yes. pictures. And, you know, it's amazing to me, actually, how offensive, frankly, sometimes even Christians can be on social media, and they never do that yeah. in person. You know, Scott, maybe a, a reasonable question would be, if if someone from the outside, a non-Christian, looks at what I care about the most, what would they see? Now, we have some issues that are big for us as believers, and we should be fighting for those issues. Mm. But if someone met me for the first time, and they know nothing about the Bible, or they you know, looked at my social media or whatever, what would they see as the biggest things I care about, what I'm trying to accomplish with my life? And maybe that's a good examination to say, well, where am I at with trying to reach the lost? I want to follow in the footsteps of my Savior, my Lord, who, you know, he was with tax collectors and sinners. He reached out to them, and religious people were kind of offended by him. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe for us, it would be a searching of our hearts to say, is my mode of what God cares about, my mode of evangelism, etc., really the heart of God? That's a good prayer, and you may be right on track and maybe not. And if not, then, Lord, any hurtful way, get it out. <laughs> Cleanse right. me of it. Purge the leaven, you know? Yeah. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be effective. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow, and with me is Pastor Michael Lance. Pastor Lance is... Are you go by Pastor Michael or Pastor Lance? Most people call me Pastor Michael. All right, yeah. Pastor or Michael. Or Michael. All right, or just Michael. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I first started at my church, they wanted to put on the big old sign outside. It was going to say Reverend Scott Fur. They're going to yes. spell out Reverend. It wasn't even Ari. Like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah. Um, don't put it on my parking space. Either, don't I, give I, me I don't it, have yeah. one. I don't want a don't parking space. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is the pastor, the lead pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. And uh, you can also hear him on his program, Walk in Truth, on KKLA and around the nation. You can go to walkintruth.com to learn more. Hey, let's. Uh, Let's talk about your church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Um, I'm guessing you're having some Easter services yourself. We are, Scott. We do a, a Wednesday evening service, and that's going to lead us, of course, into the Good Friday weekend. We do, um, I should say, Good Friday and Resurrection weekend. Yeah. So we do a Wednesday evening. Um, we teach verse-by-verse verse, expository fashion. So what people here on Walk in Truth is coming from the pulpit of Living Truth in the city of Corona. On Friday, we'll do two Good Friday services, and we've done a couple of variations recently. We did a Tenebrae service, which was kind of like a darkened room, uh, really just focusing on the reading through the story. Mm. Uh, we did uh, uh, one in Silhouette last year, where our readers were all hidden. Our worship leader was behind the curtain. And then we showed some um, footage of Jesus dying on the cross as a song was being sung, Scott, it was one of the most powerful moments I could ever uh, remember, and I've been in church for three decades now. Yeah. It was uh, powerful, kind of somber, because Friday is a tough day. It's a bittersweet day for believers. Um, so we're going to do that again. It's going to be a more traditional service this year at noon and 6. And then Sunday morning, we do a sunrise service at 6.15. So sun's coming up. We usually have well over 100 people in our parking lot with blankets and hot cocoa yeah. and that kind of thing. And we we preach the story, and then on Sunday morning we'll do two more, actually three more services because we've added a Spanish service as well. Oh, good. 8.30, 10.30, and 1 p.m. So it's a very full day. 
but we're going to be celebrating the resurrection on Sunday morning. And, uh, that's what's going on at Living Truth, and it's it's an incredible church. If you live in the Corona era area and you are looking for a church to go to on Easter or any other Sunday, uh, check it out, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And you can find out more about Pastor Michael's uh, ministry, his radio ministry, and the church at walkintruth.com, walkintruth.com. And I want to invite you to listen to his program on KKLA Los Angeles, or you can get it on your favorite radio app. He is on daily at 4 a.m. and 10.30 p.m., and you can also find some other ways to listen, again, at walkintruth.com. Uh, Pastor Michael, any final words for us today for Examine Yourself? Well, Scott, I just think that when we... Um get back to prayer, and we're inviting God to do the work in our lives, that is an amazing place to be. And if people would, if our listening family would just sit in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, maybe devotionally for the next couple of weeks or even the next week or so, I think I think we all might find that the Lord's going to do a fresh work in our hearts. And that's what I want as a believer. You know, I've uh, been a pastor a long time, but I I want fresh manna. I want to be filled mm. with the Holy Spirit. I want a baptism of boldness regularly in my life to be effective. So I would just, I think my final thought would be just sit these two verses and ask God to do it. Make it your prayer. Don't say, search them, oh God. That's pretty right, easy. Right, right. Search them. Search him. Search those search guys her. over there. Yeah. Yeah. No, search me, there. oh God. Yeah. So I think that that would be a good thing to think about. All right. Pastor Michael, thank you for being with us on Southern California Live and for getting us started on our uh, steps to Easter here. And uh, we really appreciate that. And I pray that God does great things um, through your ministry and through the ministry of everybody in your church this week and uh, on Easter Sunday. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us. My honor, Scott. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, everybody, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking of somebody who works in your office or you go to school with or that you is a neighbor, somebody maybe in your family who needs a Bible, maybe they've asked for a Bible or maybe they say, I'll oh, think about getting one, or maybe you just think in your heart the Lord is saying, I want to get them a Bible. We want to help you give them a Bible. So if you would like to give somebody a free Bible, what you need to do right now is go to kkla.com kkla.com and click on the link for a free Bible and we'll send you a free Bible for your friend or your family member. So do that now. We'll be doing that all week here as we have our steps to Easter. All right. God bless you. We'll be back in a moment. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today on this fine Friday. It is good to be with you, as we are each and every day. From 3 to 5, we'll get to some uh, open line Friday uh, later on today. We are talking this hour about Passion Week or Holy Week or you know Easter Week, Easter Vacation. You might call it something different in your tradition. We had Pastor Michael Lance on just a moment ago. And one of the things that we are doing at KKLA which is our home station here. You might be listening in San Diego on KPRZ. Great to have you with us. Our Six Steps to Easter is on kkla.com. You can just see that right on the front. And Easter, if you didn't notice, is a uh, uh, is that an acronym? Acrostic, I think is what you say, where there is, it's E-A-S-T-E-R. And the first one is examine, then admit, sanctify, transform, exalt, and reflect. So there's six letters, and we're going to do this for six days. That's why we started today, since our show is on only for five days. And um, But I thought, you know what, as we get ready for 
Easter week. Do you get ready? Do you actually have traditions that you like? Palm Sunday is this Sunday. What are you doing for Palm Sunday? Is there a tradition for Palm Sunday that you like, or is Palm Sunday something that has sort of, I don't know, has it escaped us? Like, do you do, is your church always do something on Palm Sunday, or is it, you probably acknowledge it, um, but do you just stay with whatever sermon series you were on? I don't think there's a rule, right? There's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt preach on Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry every every year. Um, I'm curious about that. You can give me a call, 888-528-2557. Also, if you'd like to respond to anything that we talked about with Pastor Michael Lance, the number is 888-528-2557. What I like about examine, you know, ourselves, it's not very politically correct, is it? Like, we're living in a time where I'm not the problem, you are. That's kind of what we're beginning to teach people in a lot of way. Like, the problem is not with me. The problem is with you. And the idea that I should examine myself or or to get to a place where I'm going to let God do it, right? Where I'm going to let God and really pray this and investigate me. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. That's the ESV. I like the word grievous. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, that's, that is the prayer of somebody who is really seeking God. That is the prayer of somebody who is um, really submitting their life to God, right? To say, I am yours. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I think God answers that prayer really quickly. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons we have a hard time with it is because immediately, like Pastor Lance said, we, we kind of have this default, I think, these days where we want to say, you know, search them. You know, are you looking at the news today? Are you looking at things going on and saying, look at those people and what those people are doing, what those people are doing, and isn't it awful what those people are doing or what that guy does or what she's doing? It's so easy and tempting in our society to do that. And certainly we have to be a people who shine the light on darkness, and we have to be a group of people who can speak the truth. But a lesson that we learn in real life, lesson we learn from uh, our faith, what we learn scripturally, is that we're not effective at doing that if we can't shine the light on ourselves first. That we are very effective as church people when we humbly point out the truth when we recognize that everybody falls short of the glory of God. It's an interesting thing when you think about the cross on Easter, when we get into what it means that Jesus died on the cross, that he is the sacrifice for everybody's sins, that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. You know, it is, the cross is something that is rugged, right? It, any any one of us could probably build one. And, you know, it is not some you know, artistic thing that the Romans put together to hang people on. It was an effective way of a torturous capital punishment. The Romans were very good at that, and it was very rugged. That's why we say that old song, you know, the old rugged cross. Um, it is something, though, that if you go all the way back into your Old Testament, you find out that the altars had, were that people were supposed to make were also very rugged. Again, the temple, there was some instruction to build an altar that uh, had bronze on it and had some things on it so that you could regularly, you know, burn sacrifices on it and it wouldn't go away. But a regular person could build an altar. And the thing is that the instruction for your regular altar is just a pile of rocks. 
It's just a uh, little pile of rocks that you could build, and and there were instructions about it uh, that you weren't supposed to carve them. You weren't supposed to make them fancy. You weren't supposed to do anything to your pile of rocks altar. Because, and the reason is because if you did, then what would happen is you could say to your neighbor, if your pile of rocks looked better than their pile of rocks, you could say, you know what? My pile of rocks looks better than your pile of rocks. And God is more pleased with my pile of rocks than your pile of rocks. And therefore, I have better access to God because God likes my pile of rocks better than he likes your pile of rocks. I mean, trust me, people will do that. And that's why God said, I want those pile, pile of rocks to not be adorned by, by human instrument or human hand. Don't carve them up. Just pile of rocks, simple. And then you know, in Exodus, he also says, and I want you to keep it low to the ground. And, you know, because otherwise people would build taller piles of rocks, right? They'd say, look at my pile of rocks is taller than your pile of rocks. And I'm closer to God than you because my pile of rocks is taller than your pile of rocks. And God says in Exodus, I don't want to be looking upon your nakedness as you climb up my altar. And if you think about it, there was a time before underwear was invented and you wore a frock or something. And if you were climbing up on your altar, you know, God just doesn't want to look up there. He's just not into that. So he said, I want it low to the ground. I want it low to the ground, rugged like the cross, something that anybody can do. And that lesson all the way through Scripture is this, that every person comes to Christ the same way. Every person comes to Christ by faith. They come to Christ not by works of their own, not because they have better artistry or they're a better singer or they're a better teacher or they're better educated or they have more money or they're better looking, whatever the better is that would be a worldly way of looking at it. No, we come to Christ in the most humble possible way. We come to God in the most humble possible way. And we do it by faith. And you know what? It's a, it's a great equalizer. And it means that every person who wants to come to, to the cross, who wants to come to faith in God, does so in this simple way. It's a, it's a remarkable thing. And as you, you get into Easter... It brings us to this idea of searching ourselves. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. You can join our conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We will do open line next hour. We do open line Friday most of the time. But uh, right now I want to talk about Easter week. Palm Sunday is coming up. If you have any traditions, what do you like about Palm Sunday? And I'll give you some thoughts about it myself uh, in, in a moment. The number is 888-528-2557. Our theme verse for our Steps to Easter, which you can find at kkla.com, just click on the Six Steps banner. Um, and there's a video. There's a video of me. Like I said, I uh, for these videos, I, I took off the Batman outfit I usually wear while I'm doing radio because you're going to see me now. So I put on a jacket and uh, try to look professional. And it is a serious thing. So the, the theme verse for today is, search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there are be any grievous way in me. Pray that prayer. I promise if you pray that prayer, the first struggle you're going to have is you're going to hear from God about something grievous in you that God wants you to think about, that God wants you to do something about. I think for most of the time, for me, I find that it, those things enter my mind super quickly, that God answers that prayer before I've even gotten done praying it. And for some of us, that makes us very uncomfortable. The next thing that happens is we want to say, search them, O God, because there must be somebody who's worse than me. Let's worry about them. It's usually somebody we know, right? Sometimes it's like, uh, God, uh, I'm coming to you in prayer, and uh, I want you to search my friend, oh God, and know his heart. And I want you to try him. I want you to know his wicked and evil thoughts, because you've already judged them for yourself. And you want to make sure God is on board. You ever do that? You ever do? (laughs) 
You know, it is so important that we we do this first when we pray, because the third thing is, is you listen to God and you submit to him and you you give whatever it is, you know, see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, that's the way you want to go in life. There's too many crazy things in the news. There's too many nutty things going on right now. Too much arguing going on, if you've been paying attention. Too many very serious things happening in the world that we're barely paying attention to. Mostly because we want to blame the other guy or blame a group of people for all of our stuff. You know, ultimately, our worlds are actually very small. We live in this weird time when we know what's happening, right? When I'm in a room full of people and everybody starts looking at their phone at the same time. I know it's because there's some headline that just came out. Have you ever had that experience where all of a sudden everybody's phone starts going off and they're all getting notifications about something that went on? It might be an earthquake or it might be a, a news story breaks or something's happening. And, and it's an amazing thing that something can be happening on the other side of the world and we're notified by it immediately. And our thoughts go to that immediately. And it takes us away from the room we're in. It takes us away from the actual place where we find ourselves. And, you know, we're called at the end of the day, and that's where this this study leads to, to make disciples. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. When you, and when you study Palm Sunday, when you see what happens, it's interesting, right? Because there's a, there's a great parade, and the believers are singing Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And there is fulfilled prophecy, and you find this in the different Gospels as it presents the what's called the triumphal entry, which is something that Roman conquerors used to do, you know, and uh, they would conquer some land, and they would either have a special parade where the conquering general or maybe Caesar himself would march into town, usually on a big white horse or some kind of glorious um, chariot or something. And all the people would lay down palm branches and they would do all these sort of different things, recognizing that person as the leader. And they they might have been doing it because they were glad. They also might have been doing it because they were afraid. Anyway, what, what happens with Jesus is so remarkable because it's a triumphal entry that Roman citizens would have been aware of and historically would have been aware of it in different ways. And yet Jesus is riding in on this humble colt. And as he approaches Jerusalem, and people are singing praises, and people are shouting Hosanna. What does Jesus do according to Luke 19? He wept. He wept over Jerusalem, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. That is, it's an incredible thing. So much worship, so much positivity, so much joy, so much optimism, so much anticipation of something magnificent that they thought would come, and four days later they shout, crucify him. Not all of those same people, but certainly a lot of the same people, they shout that. That's why we've got to take a look at ourselves. Those people didn't. They didn't let God examine them. They thought the Messiah was coming to rescue them from being captive to the Roman Empire. Instead, he was coming to die to rescue them from the captivity of their sin. I got to take a break. If you want to join our conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. When we come back, I'll give you a couple of interesting questions that uh, I want to hear from you about. And here's the curious part. If Jesus were to come today, how would Christians respond? 
I don't mean come today like the second coming because, you know, I think that at that point you're going to respond by going down on your knees and worshiping him and you'll know who he is. But if Jesus were to come for the first time today, if this is the time the Messiah came, how would we respond? 888-528-2557. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow will be back as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. Next hour, we'll do some Open Line Friday and talk about some news of the day. But I didn't want to miss that we are headed into Passion Week or Holy Week. What do you call it? Do you have a uh, tradition? Maybe it's Easter Vacation. It used to be Easter Vacation when we were kids. Now uh, we have spring breaks that don't even correspond so often. Um, Holy Week, uh, Easter Week. Anyway, at KKLA, we're calling it Passion Week, and if you go to kkla.com, click on the Six Steps to Easter, you can begin a program today to really take a look at yourself and examine yourself as we enter into this Easter season. I think it is a great tool, and I encourage you to use it and to tune in each and every day uh, today and then Monday through Friday next week as we go through each of the steps. Before the break, I asked you about this, is how would Jesus be received if he came back today? I don't mean the second coming. I think when Jesus comes the second time, there's going to be no doubt that he is the Messiah and who he is. Uh, I think it will immediately be clear. And I think that on that day when his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, it's going to be a very short um, battle. However, if he were to come today, let's say that now he's coming to be crucified, if that was how it would work, how would he respond? And, And I'm saying this because on Palm Sunday, which is this Sunday, you know, people had a parade. It's a very interesting thing. There's so much worship, and there's so much going on. And then four days later, they shout, crucify him. There's an organized parade. That means that that word got out that he was coming, right? He didn't just show up and people suddenly gathered. They knew he was coming. It was organized. They had time to go get their palm branches and get them ready. And there was it was organized. They put out a flyer. They probably had an Evite, and everybody clicked on it, and everybody understood he was coming. And the thing is, is that Jesus didn't do what they felt like he was supposed to do. And he comes into town and he tosses the temple around. He interrupts their right to commerce. He does not fulfill their right uh, to the nation that they they had. He doesn't fulfill the rights of the religious elite. You know, there and some of those were rights that are completely made up religious rights in that culture, right? And, and some of them are just misplaced. Uh, Jesus is the king, and he will ransom Israel one day, like in that Christmas song we sing, but not until the next coming. His purposes now are spiritual. The purposes of the kingdom of God in this world are spiritual. The purpose of the church is spiritual. So that's kind of the question. If he were to come today, how would we respond There's a snarky and cynical remark that's often out there, that evangelicals would be the ones to crucify him today. You know what I think is I think that that's not true of all, certainly, and I don't think that's true of most. But I do think it's true for some, and I think it's true for not just a few. Does that make sense? There's a lot of people who go to church who would crucify him today because he doesn't fulfill whatever right or whatever obligation people think he's supposed to do. Right? We would... You know, and so a question, you know, is if Jesus were to come today and we're going to have Palm Sunday today and he's going to march into town, however we would do it. I don't know if he would, if they would give him the Pope mobile or if he would ride in like in a 
convertible Corvette? Uh, probably not. It would be it would be more like a convertible Yugo, right? Is what or a bicycle or something? He would he would come in on a cart. I don't know. It would be humble, right? Something. Uh, and I realize we're just you know moving this to this time, and I would assume that all the prophecies would have been written to talk about that. Okay. Um, how would we receive him? Would we invite our non-believing kids to come see him, or would we use him to champion something else? Would we use him to uh, to champion our political causes and then reject him if he doesn't support our agendas exactly as we think of them? Would we appeal to some right that we've created in our churches and then call him a heretic when he doesn't agree with some doctrine that we have decided to plant our flag in? See, Palm Sunday is interesting in that way. It should cause us to examine ourselves. It should cause us to realize that on that day, they had the right idea with the palm branches and the celebration. The book of Revelation says that there's uh, palm branches would be in response to the Messiah, but they didn't get what he was supposed to do at at Palm Sunday. And I wonder if we are afraid of examining ourselves or afraid that, or if we even think of it that way, do we actually get into God, change my heart. Change my heart if I'm wrong. You know, one of the greatest things as a pastor, greatest conversations I ever had, there was a a man in my church who had been in that church for 90 years, literally 90 years. And his name was George. And George, it was really the only congregation he had ever been a part of in his life. I mean, that's incredibly rare. Even for older people, you know, there's, there's a lot of people listening. Maybe you've been in the same church for 30, 40, 50 years. That doesn't happen anymore. Most people are in a church three, four, or five years, and then they're in another church, usually because they move to another town or another community. Sometimes people just move church to church. This guy is like his only church. And we made a bunch of decisions about how we were going to do our worship services, and a lot of it was change. And a lot of it was change that the church really was behind on. We did a lot of it quickly. And he was not for it. And he told me one time, when I first started there, he actually told me once, he said, you know, I've been here a long time, and I've probably given a lot of pastors uh, a lot of a hard time. But right now, it's more important to me that the kingdom of God does better than the kingdom of First Baptist. And I always appreciated that. But then when the push came to shove, you know, I wondered, is what's he going to do? And we had this long conversation in the parking lot late at night. I had to call his wife to let her know Yes, he was still driving. He was 96 or something, and you know, or 90, 90 years old, still driving. That's a whole other issue. But uh, I called her and said, oh, she, he's fine. And it was funny because she goes, yeah, I figured he was just out talking to you. So this has happened to before. We had this conversation about it, and he said this to me. He said, you know, I've been praying about this pastor, and this is what I'm asking God to do. He says, I'm asking God to change your mind and change the mind of people in this church and not do what we're about to do. But then he said, but I'm also praying to God that if I'm wrong about this, if this is not God's will, then he will change my mind so that I can be completely supportive. And you know what? That is a great prayer. As a pastor, I'll tell you what, I appreciated that prayer. And I'll tell you this, uh, the church didn't change its mind and we didn't go in the direction he wanted. And as much as he struggled with a lot of those things personally, he supported. He was so for real in all of that. And he let God examine him. He struggled with the Lord. He talked about it in many ways. He wrestled with the Lord. He prayed this prayer. He struggled. And yet he submitted to the will of God. I think that's something that we are supposed to do. 
And I would encourage you to examine yourself and think about that for this world today, and not just for the church you go to or the congregation that you're connected with, but actually for the sake of the people that God has placed in your life to whom really you're supposed to reflect the light of Christ to. Because in an interesting way, they're watching how you even interact with your church and how you talk about your church, how you talk about your pastor, how you talk about the people at your church, how you talk about politicians, how you talk about the world, how you talk about people. There are so many ways that our testimony is being given, even when we're not thinking about it. And this is why we examine ourselves first. And when we find some sin in our life or we find some, and it's always there, we find an attitude that needs to be corrected. We find something that we're doing that's not representing Christ. Part of examining ourselves and part of submitting ourselves to God is the humility that comes with that. And what you need to know is that is seen also by people who aren't believers. When we humbly hold to the truth, when we humbly listen, when we humbly communicate, when we're able to push away all the things that can distract us, when we can put off our old self, we can put off the sin that so easily entangles and focus on the gospel, the good news, the reason why Jesus came the first time, it does amazing things in not just our life, but in the people whose life is around us. You may not even notice, but they notice. We notice things about people. We don't always say, right? I bet that for a lot of us, we don't really know our next door neighbors very often, very much. But at the same time, I bet we know a lot about them if we think about it. If their windows are open, we know what they're screaming. If uh, they come home late, if they drink, if they smoke, if they do, uh, if they are one thing or another, I bet it's, it's pretty remarkable what we know. So I want to encourage you to, as the scriptures tell us, as the psalmist says, examine yourself. Ask God to find out if there's any grievous thing in you. Pray that prayer and wrestle with the Lord on those things. And do that for Palm Sunday. We're going to get back together each and every day next week and go through six steps of Easter. And if you want to learn more about that or even go ahead on it, all the videos are already posted. Go to kkla.com, click the banner that says stick uh, six steps to Easter, or six steps, just says six steps really big. And uh, check it out. We'd love to have you do that. All right, this is Southern California Live. And you can always get the podcast, by the way, by going to our website or going to Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll never miss an hour of our show. When we come back, we'll have Open Line Friday. And we will do that in just a few moments. This is Southern California Live, Friday edition of Scott Furrow. I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.